G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. This week, we're focusing on diversity and the lack of it in Australian tech startups. Too much of what we see are white, middle-class men talking to and talking about other white, middle-class men. That's got to change. So today on Twister, we're dedicating the episode to a long, hard look at a problem that's the elephant in the room. We start off with journalist Paul Wallbank's perceptive observations about what may be hamstringing Australia's tech diversity. Then we're joined by Scale Investors CEO Laura McKenzie, who is building up an incredible network of angels dedicated to supporting female entrepreneurs. We're going in hammer and tongs today, so stay tuned. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Optus Innovate, supporting diversity in the Australian startup community, and Oxygen Ventures, investing in passionate and diverse tech entrepreneurs. Journalist Paul Wallbank is no stranger to Twista. He first came on the show during our new special that aired back in December. Now, last month... Paul wrote an article for Business Spectator. You can find a link to that article on our Tumblr. And in that article, Paul goes in pretty much hammer and tongs <laughs> about the fundamental lack of diversity in the Australian and actually the global startup community. Paul, welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you very much, Mark. All right. So you have actually been out there for the past month talking to a lot of people in the community about diversity. What have you been learning? Well, first of all, Mark, to be fair, it's not just the startup community. This is across business in general. It's a, um, specifically in Australia, but worldwide, it's um, this is a, a middle-aged white guy thing. Um, Janet Street Porter in the 1980s, um, the British broadcaster, she, uh, she lambasted the M people, as she called it back then, the middle-aged middle class male and mediocre and you know my god she's just described both of us <laughs> i know i thought that too oh, no. <laughs> all right all right yeah that's right but um uh there's people on much higher pay scales than us yeah. that um yeah. that fit the m people tag as well <laughs> yeah okay all right so we're talking about something that's systemic mm. but we're also talking about the fact that there's been a particular focus in startup land and in technology land mm. around gender disparity, you know, the recent numbers that came out of, uh, what was it, was the GitHub survey, I believe, mm. showed that it was around 92% of their users were male, things yeah. like this. And it's interesting you mentioned that because I was at the GitHub conference in um, Wellington a couple of weeks back. Right. And um, there, there was no gender disparity at all. It was like 50-50. Uh, but, um, but there's another aspect to this too, Mark, and that is that um, it's not just gender where the mm. diversity is missing here. It's on ethnic um, lines. It's on. Uh, it's on pretty well any gender. Any. Um, well, you uh, made, you made points about the Frank Lowys and that early generation exactly. of, of immediately post-war immigrants coming into mm. Australia and starting transformative, disruptive at that time. Yep. Business models. Mm. And I love the analogy that you made around this idea, particularly as we transition away from mining. That mm. In fact, the next generation of Chinese are going to be looking for data miners from Australia. Yep. They're not going to be looking for iron ore. 
That's exactly right. And one of the things that we need to be bringing into this is these different um, backgrounds on this. Is mm -hmm. that um, where where's the where's the Hindi's, the Mandarin, the uh, Shanghainese, uh, right. Vietnamese? Where are all the Spanish-speaking communities? Um, it's very much an Anglo-Saxon world at the moment in the Australian startup scene. Well, even even with the female uh, contingent, again, uh, white Anglo-Saxons. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we've had Tim Hong in here before, mm. and Tim is Australian Chinese, but he clearly yeah. has strong contacts yeah. in China, and he will go back and forth, and it's clearly really good for him Absolutely. in business to be able to be seamlessly between those cultures. And mm. so you'd think that if you're scouting out uh, and assessing a startup, you'd like, oh, well, that, that person's going to have an inroad to maybe the Indian community mm. or to the uh, Chinese community or to the Indonesian community. Yeah. You'd think that these things would actually be highly sought. Mm, indeed. And um, there's another aspect to this as well, that um, a recent survey that was done, and I just had a mental block on who did it, but um, showed that the more women that were on boards, and this is yes. not in startup communities, this is in the uh, ASX uh, yes. 200, that um, this, uh, um, I think it was for every additional female that was on the board, that was an additional 4% in profit margins. Right, because someone, it wasn't, I was talking to someone who said they wanted to build a hedge fund around that. Yeah. You know, and yeah. just have run the number of women on the board and then place its bets on the stocks based on that because yeah. it was such a good determinant. Uh, and this is one of the things I think we're seeing, um, if we just stick on the ASX 200 for a moment, you see that male, middle class, white um, suburban thinking there, right. but in the startup world as well, we've, and we've seen this criticism of the Silicon Valley startup scene that uh, it's uh, stuff that middle class white guys like. Right. Um, that uh, yeah, it's taxis, it's pizza delivery, that sort of thing, rather than things that uh, the real the real economy, the real world need. <laughs> so that uh, in in a sense, the both the expectations and the wishes mm. of a particular type of founder are then becoming intrinsic to the kinds of companies those folks are founding. Exactly. You've got that demographic right. that has a specific set of needs. And look, those needs are valid, yeah. but they're only a tiny slice of it. And I've just, uh, prior to this uh, meeting, uh, sorry, this interview, um, been at a meeting where I've been talking to a whole bunch of uh, data mining companies. And mm -hmm. they're, they're talking about what they're going to be doing in, um, in agriculture and right. in jet engines and this sort of thing. And I think sometimes we're getting too much focused into, hey, uh, there's some social media data we can mine or hey uh, how many people are ordering pepperoni pizzas and it's yeah oh, look that's valid but it's a as i say it's a small slice what is there any way out of this because it's almost as though we've built a bubble right and we're mm. in the filter bubble is there what are the ways out of the filter bubble what are the ways that you see people breaking out of the filter bubble this stage, I don't, you know, Mark. I um, I think the way to to break it out is to be getting a much more diverse base in. And um, uh, just recently, uh, the Labor Party set up their Labor for Innovation um, uh, initiative, and that was really interesting. In that, the two MPs that were pushing it, uh, Bowen and Husek, are both from Western Sydney. Right. So you've got very diverse communities out there. And Ed Husek's also Muslim, isn't he? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, and I mean Ed Husek's seat that's covering Blacktown, those areas. So you've got big Filipino populations, yeah. big. Islander populations, lots of immigrants, and those are probably what we need. I mean, it's too much of a Surrey Hills, uh, Fitzroy, um, uh, Lower North Shore type um, uh, focus there that uh, we probably need to break out of. And if we do that, if we do that right, then the theory would be that we'll see a lot of, we'll see a lot more diversity in the kinds of innovation. Absolutely right. And a lot more diversity in the, in the thinking about uh, how we're going to make money out of this instead of, oh yeah, we're just going to click the ticket on delivering pizzas. All right, but let me let me step this up a level you know someone forms their little startup and then they're going to 
an investor. And again, the investor is going, but you're not just like me. <laughs> exactly right. And I think this is another problem there too, that, uh, yeah, we've got uh, the guys at the top end of town, um, the big investors, uh, they're all at the Balmoral Beach Club, white Anglo-Saxons right. um, drinking scotch and looking at the view, and that's and that's nice and that's valid. But, um, again, it's that tiny sliver there. And it's and it's a bubble. It, it perpetuates itself and doesn't exactly necessarily right. perpetuate the kind of growth that the country needs. Yeah, well, not just the country, but I think in general the um, entire startup community. If it's just this um, this white middle class bubble, then you're really and this is why I'm interested in the Israeli uh, side of this. That you can see how these guys have uh, gone into the security side of it because that's the things that are driving their right. Imperatives. Or in the, in the case of the company that acquired by Apple last week, the cameras. That, yes, that's right. So yeah. yeah, so you can see a little bit of thinking outside of the box because there's that completely different um, experience there. So, yeah, if we're pulling these people out of uh, Western Sydney, um, out of different ethnic, um, whatever diversity we want to talk on this. Right. Just uh, the experience is yeah. different. New thinking, yeah. different thinking, yeah. Paul, thank you very much for coming on This Week in Startups Australia. It's always a pleasure to come on and rant, Mark. Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and I just want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Optus Innovate. They provide funding to Australian startups and support the Australian startup community. They're led by Alfred Lowe, but the whole Optus Innovate team are awesome to work with. And they're big supporters of the Australian startup scene with funding to institutions like Fishburners and Innovation Bay. Optus Innovate are one of the active local corporate VCs. They're looking for Series A investment opportunities. And outside of investment, Optus Innovate can also help connect your startup with Optus for partnerships, for business development, for opportunities. Find out more at optusinnovate.com.au. A few months ago, Jason Calacanis wrote a blog post that he subtitled Fixing the Gender Issue in Venture Capital. He talked a lot about how VC had maybe developed as a boys club, why it had developed that way. Essentially, the argument is that if you're going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars, you probably need to be in almost a brotherhood so that the people who have also lost those hundreds of millions of dollars don't ax you to death after you've lost those hundreds of millions of dollars. And he sort of used that as a cornerstone argument for arguing that it was really going to be very, very hard to change. I'll quote, what has to happen, Jason said, is we all have to support, encourage and fund female founders to start their own venture capital firms. Changing this system will be very hard. Competing with it will be easier. So that's what Jason said a few months ago. Now today, right now, sitting across from me on the sofa, I'm talking to Laura McKenzie. Laura is the CEO and director of Scale Investors. Now, Scale is a bit different from your run-of-the-mill VC investment angel firm, but we'll let Laura talk about that. Laura, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here. So what is Scale Investors? So Scale is currently a female-focused angel investor network. Um, we, as you say, are trying to solve that problem of very few female founders being funded. And we think part of the solution to that is, is to encourage more women to be investors. So it's you're working actually at it from, from both ends because they're 
if you take a look at the number of in- angel investors that are women, those numbers are also quite low, are they not? Oh, certainly. So in Australia, there was a survey done a few years ago that said 2% of angel investors in Australia were women. Were women, And I could probably tell you exactly who they were. Um, <laughs> did, you, did you recruit them when you were starting up scale investors? Actually, no, because they were already angel investors and a lot of them were already getting their deal flow. But some of them have come on board now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got about 70 women and men because mm-hmm. they don't want to miss out on the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And what is fascinating is um, we are part of really a global movement. Um a great report, the Diana Report, came out of Babson College earlier this year. And, you know, we are right on the money, Dr. Candy DeBrush said. Um, actually, you know, the existing venture community are missing out mm-hmm. on opportunities. Well, uh, Paul Wallbank was just in studio here, and, and he pointed out, of course, that it's now known that firms that have either a woman in the CEO seat or lots of women on the board financially outperform form firms that do not. And we were both musing why someone hadn't started a hedge fund that would simply place bets on those companies. Is this kind of what scale is doing, (laughs) but at a very, you know, with the very, very small companies? Well, actually, Barclays have an ETF, which is focused on female um, businesses that have at least 25% of women on boards. And in fact, Barclays wouldn't qualify for that. (laughs) That particular fund, but I'm sure they will do soon, and I'm sure it's within their intentions. Um, you know, women are a safe, a safer bet. Um, I've worked in microfinance, mm-hmm. where it's you know, been known for decades right. that actually women will pay back the money for the goat, pay, and they are proven right. to be better entrepreneurs. And in fact, right. what's interesting is there's a lot of venture capitalists that have gone into microfinance and are sitting on the boards of these organizations that admittedly are a much smaller amount of capital in emerging markets. Mm. Um, But women as entrepreneurs are um, more backable for a number of reasons. They're more calculated risk takers. I think they really evaluate their options. I find that women, when they're pitching to us, really know their numbers a lot better than men and and absolutely know the key um, revenue drivers mm-hmm. and are much more careful with their money. So they understand their businesses better than the men. They do, and they tend to take money on board later. So they tend to bootstrap for longer because they don't want to take the responsibility of risking someone else's money until they really believe in it. And this is the generalization, but that's, right. that is the the, the the trend that I've seen. I also think women tend to be less prone to um, overconfidence. <laughs> Um, Can't imagine why that would be. (laughs) (laughs) It's not to say they're not ambitious. No, no, no. But those are not the same thing, right? Yeah. um, But but we we tend to see, and certainly those entrepreneurs that we have backed Mm. are those women entrepreneurs who have very clearly demonstrating the building demonstrated the building blocks to grow their business, particularly in the next 12 months, we can all see what the blue sky is and hypothesize around what that is. Um, But I I tend to find that they are, they tend to raise less money and are more careful with it. Um, And those businesses are equally scalable. And we're seeing more and more examples of role models of women who have grown scalable businesses. Well, we had uh, Jen George in here on show number two, this series. And she is one of my favorite entrepreneurs I've had on the show because she's exactly that. She's built, she bootstrapped the business. She knows exactly what she's doing, at least for the next 12 months. She knows how she has to grow it. She's growing as fast as she can. And she projected, it wasn't... um, 
false confidence, but a sort of assuredness Mm -hmm. that I rarely see in someone, A, who's 23 years old, Mm. and B, someone who's running their first startup. I don't think I'd ever said, I I felt like, wow, I I could give you all the money (laughs) and I would know, I know you would take care of it. And is this, so is this, uh, in some sense, is that an an edge that women bring to the table when they're working as entrepreneurs? Mm, I think it's a quiet confidence. Um, there are extremes in any spectrum. Of course. Um, but I think generally the women are just get it, getting on and operating. And Jen has done a fantastic job in building her business mm. through acquisition and through organic growth um, in the last few years. And she's great at the PR side of things oh, as yeah. well. But she absolutely is a fantastic operator too. So what was the, I guess, the, the starting point for scale? When did you and your co-founders, the three other co-founders, mm-hmm. when did you go, okay, we've got to make this happen? Was there an event or a moment that you said, okay, we've got to do this? Yeah, well, I actually went to see, um, and, and I should say that scale actually stands for Susan, Carol, Annette, Laura for entrepreneurs. Um, and, you know, <laughs> okay, that's fantastic. It's an incredible name because the number of, we absolutely want to scale the number of investors, the number of entrepreneurs, yeah. and they want to scale their businesses with our money. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, that's down to a net. It was a fantastic champagne discussion that mm-hmm. ended mm-hmm. In, in that. But but the moment for me was um, I had been to see Carol Schwartz um, to say, you know, I've been working in a venture firm. I'm the only woman around the table. Yeah. of those that come through our door are male engineers wearing blue shirts and chinos. And I really think we're missing out on opportunities. And I'd love to start a female-focused fund in a few years' time. I'd love to have you involved. And, um, you know, Carol's an amazing woman, um, incredibly well-networked and a a great leader and entrepreneur and investor in her Mm. own right. And she said, well, actually, I'm... I'm having lunch with two other women tomorrow who want to do the same thing. So you should join us. So it was the zeitgeist, really. It was Absolutely. just the moment. It was just the, it was just the moment. And I think a number of things coming together. Susan Oliver, who's our founding chair, had just come back from the US where she'd been presenting. She'd have been a keynote speaker at a Women Corporate Directors Conference. Mm-hmm. And she'd sat down next to this lady, Peggy Wallace, who runs Golden Seeds in the US. And Peggy had said to her, well, Susan, are you an investor? And Susan thought, well, do you know what? I, I actually am, but I can't think of any boardroom table around Australia. Susan's been on a number of listed mm. boards um, for the last couple of decades. I can't think of a number of conversations I've had where people have asked me that around the boardroom table or the dining room table. Right. And actually, a lot of my male colleagues have, you know, and it got her thinking. Um, and Annette Kimmett at the time was the managing director, managing partner of EY mm-hmm. in in Melbourne and involved with the Entrepreneur of the Year program. And I think every year Carol will call her and say, Annette, where are the women? Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I was involved on the judging panel of the Entrepreneur of the Year this year. And mm. there were 15 men finalists in Victoria. Um, and I am looking forward to the time and I really believe it will happen in a few years where at least 50% of those yeah. entrants are, are women. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I'd like to take a moment to talk about a project that's really close to my heart. For the past few years, I've been giving folks a lot of advice on how to crowdfund successfully. I've learned a lot from my own crowdfunding campaign. I've been able to pass that advice along to others. And I'd like to pass the secrets of successful crowdfunding along to you. So I'm leading some seminars in both Sydney and Melbourne that will teach you where to find your backers, how to set your goals, everything you need to execute a successful crowdfunding campaign. Crowdfunding is the new way to bring your startup to life. Find out more at markpesci.com slash crowdfunding. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We're talking to Laura McKenzie of Scale Investors. Now, Laura, when we're talking about getting women both into the boardroom and getting women as investors, is this something that women have, I think, historically felt that they weren't welcome at or that they weren't good at? Is there a reason why we're only talking about 2% angel investors? It's definitely about having a seat on a table and bringing others with you. You know, how scale is growing now is absolutely word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Someone's a scale angel and they really are incredible women in the community so, saying, so, I love this. Come on. You know, I think you should get involved too. I, you know, I, I read through your website minutely. And so there's this <laughs> quote here where you make some requirements of the scale angels. Angel, and I'm quoting here, angel investors are typically actively engaged with their portfolio of early stage companies, including board roles, mm-hmm. providing advice and mentoring and connecting entrepreneurs to prospective clients, strategic partners, potential acquirers. Scale angels will be required to be active in providing mm-hmm. this support. Does that scare people away? Do they go, oh my God, I can't take that on? Or the, d- does it make it more exciting for them? I I really make it a challenge to join Scale, don't I? There's all these requirements. And then I also say, well, by the way, it's really risky. You need to afford to be able to lose all of this money. Right. And you need to think about building a portfolio of, I say, six to eight businesses in three to five years. So I say, all of that, if you're prepared to be active, mm-hmm. get involved with the due diligence, mm-hmm. sit on the boards, introduce your networks, walk into customers with the entrepreneurs, and you're happy to invest in a few startups, then we'd love to have you on board. Okay, so it sounds to me like you're actually training the folks who will eventually become, in the best sense, your competitors, right? That you get these folks good enough, they're actually going to go, wait, I can now do what Laura's doing. I can now start my own angel project. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Well, well, actually, what people have fed back, and we, of course, survey our customers, um, feedback is they love the collegiality Mm -hmm. of collaborating on the due diligence together Mm -hmm. and listening to questions that other investors are asking around the table and in fact a number of people have joined scale as investors they're already experienced investors for the deal flow and for broader perspective of others in the room you know we have our youngest angel is 27 our oldest angel is 77 Mm -hmm. we have non-exec directors we have exited entrepreneurs we've got experienced investors we've got people who are partners at professional service firm who are kind of precluded from investing in the stock market they're all clients of the firm um and so there's, and we've also got a lot of people with American accents around the table. And I don't in fact, know what you're talking about. Three, three of the first five investments that we've done have all been led 
because that's a requirement. We need someone to put their hand up to say, I'm happy to lead this deal by US citizens. Um, They may well have been here for 30 years or 30 days, um, but they've all kept their accents. And I think maybe there's that natural propensity for risk Mm -hmm. um, that, that the US citizens are a little bit more comfortable with. And we're learning. Well, and I, but I think that's exactly the point. You're creating the environment for all of the investors to learn. And that's, to me, A, it feels very good, but B, it feels qualitatively different than the other kinds of angel investment syndicates that you're seeing out there where, you know, you're really just sort of thrown to your own devices. And if you're lucky, you'll have someone in the syndicate, A, who will lead and B, who's knowledgeable. But it's really down, in a sense, to luck and the kinds of connections that you can work. But you're required to do all of that yourself in something like an angel list, whereas scale is basically saying, actually, that's that's what that's what we're for. Well, it's a people business at the end of the day. You know, we're trying. I don't think to I've pick... ever. But hold on, I don't think I've ever heard another investor. I think another investors have always said it's a returns business. So you see, yeah, that I, you back the right people. Yeah, we hope you get the right returns. And we're still young, mm. so we can't talk about track records. You know, the first investment we we made was about fifteen months ago, mm-hmm. and we've co-invested on on all of our deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we should probably have this conversation in five years' time. But I would absolutely stay. I w- guess that I will still be saying it's a people business, mm. and you back the right people, and you help them build the right team around them, and they attract other people to their idea. That's how they'll grow a business. Sure. Sure. To get it's, the returns. Absolutely. I, I, it's not, I, I'm, this is not a critique. Mm-hmm. It is just a noting of a completely different approach and yeah. an approach that is, I mean, again, the proof will be in the pudding. So we'll see in five years time. But uh, an approach that feels, I think, particularly for people who may be interested, but would not want to be thrown to their own devices in yeah. any of this um, would be a lot more appealing. Yeah. And I think... You know, crowdfunding is becoming much more mainstream Mm. in the US Mm. and in the UK. And I was back in the UK over Christmas and every tube station, you're standing on the underground and there's an advert for Crowdcube or Angel's Den. Um, And that absolutely is an approach. And if you want to invest in a number of businesses, just like if you're going to the races and you want to bet on a number of horses, (laughs) that is a way to build a portfolio. But I think, you know, I really believe it's about building authentic relationships with the entrepreneur where you feel you can really add value. Um, And if you're just one of thousands of investors, you really are not going to have the ability to influence the outcomes of the business or the ability to share your knowledge. But you will have the ability to drive the entrepreneur absolutely crazy because they're actually dealing with thousands (laughs) of retail investors, which is something that an early stage entrepreneur, and this is the other side of crowdfunding, you know, that you don't really understand that you're opening up the hellmouth. And I have been there. I have walked through the hellmouth. It's a very different sort of experience than something that may be dealing with a few select angel investors who are there because they like your business, they like you, and they want to see you grow. And I think for consumer products, it is potentially a way to Hmm. pre-sell things. So not talking equity crowdfunding here, but but talking more product-based Kickstarter-type crowdfunding, I think is a great way to ensure that you have that product market fit. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but we will see. Time will tell. And, you know, it is disrupting the space. I've just come back from an angel capital conference in the US. There was about 600 people there. And there was a number of number of people from crowdfunding platforms talking to us. So, you know, we're fully aware. <laughs> just as I would say, many women as investors tend to be risk aware. <laughs> people said to me when we first started Scale, you'll never get women to invest. They're risk averse. I don't think that's true. I think we're just aware of the risks. And, you know, angel investors are aware of crowdfunding and the risk of disruption that plays in their space. And we're just watching and, and seeing how the landscape plays out. Well, and crowd investing is going to require more changes to Australian securities law than are currently slated to be delivered by the government anyway. Even in America, Although it's been mandated, the SEC is having a devil of a time trying to figure out how to actually make it work because 70 years of securities law tends to point the other way. So it's I agree with you. It's a very interesting space. It's a space that needs to be watched. Is it disruptive yet? Mm. Maybe, maybe not so much. All right. So. You now have, so do you want to talk about, you have your 70 angels. Mm -hmm. What's the, if you, you're willing to talk about this, the sex ratio between those two, do you have primarily women in that? Yeah, set? that's right. We do have primarily women. We have 12 scale males, right. <laughs> as they're happy to be called for want of a better <laughs> kind of nickname. Um, and some of them, so we have a, we have individual members, we have family members. So some of those are husbands and mm -hmm. uh, uh, and their partners are, are part of scale. And there are a number of women, a number of men who are members of other angel groups, mm -hmm. and they've joined scale because they like the education, mm -hmm. they love the collegiality, and importantly, they want access to a different type of deal flow from what they're seeing in other angel groups because so, I think we have more diversity. Well, it sounds I mean it, it sounds like that's the entire sort of structure here when you structure something around being a learning environment mm. then it's going to attract people who are there to learn and to and to teach. Absolutely. Right. So it's when you change the basic parameters of why people are coming together you're going to change the kinds of businesses that they're going to be able to come to. All right. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We will be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I just want to talk about sponsor Oxygen Ventures. Oxygen Ventures invests in passionate and innovative entrepreneurs, folks who are building global first scalable tech companies and are looking to raise a late seed or series A round. Now, they don't consider themselves fund-only investors. They're business builders. They get in there and offer strategic advice. They give introductions to their network. They offer business support as part of the investment. Oxygen Ventures has a mandate to invest in software-only tech businesses looking to raise between $500,000 and $5 million. Learn more at oxygenventures.com.au. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We're talking to Laura McKenzie, the director and CEO of Scale Investors. All right, Laura. So what are the different kinds of deals that you're seeing at Scale Investors? Mm. Um, so the CEOs of three of the businesses we've invested in so far are engineers. Mm -hmm. um, so we absolutely do see technical founders. I think there's a misconception that there aren't women who are scientists who are starting businesses. Um, we 
have invested in biz- all the businesses we've invested in have the potential to be global from day one. And I think when you're starting a business in Australia, you absolutely have to have that mindset. Mm-hmm. And sometimes being here is actually an advantage because it for- forces you to, to scale. Think, yeah, to, to scale very quickly. Right. Um, and also, you know, being able to test things in a local market and then take them to Europe or to the US or to, to Asia. So do you um, want to talk about perhaps one of your profile companies and what they're doing? Yeah. So um, let me talk about our latest investment, which is Switch Automation. So the Internet of Things is hot right now. Um, a number of the large technology companies are really interested in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, Deb Noller is a fantastic entrepreneur. Um She's not 22. She's got four kids. They've all left home now. Um, And so she is absolutely focused on this business. And like any entrepreneur, she is relentless in her um, focus and and number of hours she spends at work living between Sydney and San Francisco. And so Switch Automation is really a platform as a service. Mm -hmm. So for people with large portfolios of buildings that they manage and they want to manage more efficiently, um, so really, it, it helps them to analyze data, whether that's energy or people flow, um, to understand how they can fine tune their systems and processes, um, so those businesses operate more effectively. So Microsoft are a client, for example. I think Lendlease are a client here. There's a very large retail bank in the US that they're rolling out a huge program with. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of interest in in what she's doing. Wow. And that is immediately, of course, by the nature of the business, is scalable from, from day one. Absolutely. And and what's fascinating is the two angels that have co-led that deal. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is a very experienced CTO, Yvonne yeah. Everett. Um, and the other is um, Lisa Hennessy, who, who has grown sales teams across the US um, and scaled businesses on that side of things. So in terms of fine-tuning the product mm-hmm. and then helping to roll out the product. You know, Lisa and Yvonne are absolutely the best right positioned to help Deb take that process forward. So how did Deb end up coming to you? How, mm. did, how did that happen? Mm. Do you know? Uh, yeah, I, I do know. So actually Deb completed a program with Springboard, mm-hmm. um, which has been going in the US for about a decade and has had a couple of programs here. And it's a couple of days incubator program or accelerator program um, here in Sydney. So she went through that and one of our angels is on the board of Springboard. So that was the connection um, here. And also one of our angel investors who works for a, in private equity for a large bank here had come across Deb and recommended her to scale. Okay. So again, it was a word of mouth. Absolutely. So it's all about the relationships that scale are developing in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, a number of um, angel investors and venture investors that I know well have started to bring deals to scale because they want to have women on the boards of those companies and they want to benefit from that knowledge and wisdom. Okay. So let's open this out okay well actually you're you're recruiting for a fund now though i think you mentioned to me yeah that's that's right um so 
There are lots of people we've spoken to who would love to be angel investors, mm. but don't have the time. Well, given the requirements that you're asking for, <laughs> I'm not entirely surprised. And, and so they may choose to invest in the fund. Right. There's also a number of So is that going to be more like a classic VC fund or is that an actual angel fund? Is um, so it's set up as an early stage venture capital limited partnership. Okay. So registered with us industry all of the distributions from that fund are tax-free and we have our financial service license so oh. we've been running around in the background getting this set up yep. um and i see it's a great thing for entrepreneurs because they'll be able to get more capital in one place yep. it's a great thing for invest for angel investors because with the fund coming on board alongside them they will have bring bringing more capital to the table so have a stronger negotiating position so, um, you know, you do good with your angel investment and then we can lead you into the VC fund. Is that what you're sort of saying is, is part yeah, of so the Yes, so some angels might invest in the fund as well, but right. the fund is a more of a, a passive investment. No, no, I'm talking about for your portfolio oh, companies. Yeah. In other words, yeah. you, know, you start them out on the angel. If they succeed, then you can actually oh, take no, them no, to the, a series no, A. No, the fund will invest at the same time as the angels. Oh, all right. And then both will follow on. And, and you know, one thing I've um, really changed my outlook on over the last few years having come out of venture is the definition of angel investing <laughs> yes for me angel investing it's your money yeah. it's not someone else's and so you want to build a balanced portfolio mm -hmm. so you may want to just do all seed investments but you might want to do some later stage mm -hmm. so I actually tend to shy away from these this nomenclature of C, A, B, C, D, E. You know, you're either investing or you're not. Um, and many of our angels will follow on as those businesses grow. Right. I mean, to come back to it, it may in fact be that you're investing by the risk profile as opposed to say which round it is. Right. You know, yeah. at the earliest stage, you're you've got the most risk, most reward, but most risk. Yeah, that's right. And in fact, all of the businesses we've invested in, the entrepreneur has been able to demonstrate the product mm. and provide some customer feedback. And so that is later than some angels may invest. Mm -hmm. It may even be later than some venture firms might invest. But on the flip side, it, it could be earlier than, than others. So not all of them have revenue, but they all have some customer feedback. So let's open this out to a broader issue and the theme really of this episode, which is how do we do what we can to get diversity? And it's not just women, it's people of color. It's people who are from other countries and other cultures. How do we get diversity in tech? Where do we start? <laughs> well, Small question. Gender is a, <laughs> a great place to start, but I was even commenting at lunch I had with about 12 very senior women working in the city we're all white, <laughs> middle class. Um, I think it's around having one point of difference at the table and then surrounding that person with two or three others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all the data shows that when you have one woman on the board, it makes a little bit of difference. Mm -hmm. When you have three, it makes, it makes a, a whole lot of difference. Um, I was on a panel in San Francisco last week with Phil Fernandez, who's the CEO of Marketo. And he was explaining that actually he has a headhunter out there at the moment with the sole mandate of just recruiting women for his board because he wants to have a situation where he's got at least 50% of women. And then he says, I'm then going to move on to other aspects of diversity. So it's about having critical mass, um, whether it's women, 
whether it's um, people with a different operational background, with a different right. outlook. With a different outlook. Yeah. I, you know, having done work with the Australian Institute of Company Directors, and I've seen that they've actually, this is not an issue that's unknown to them. And what they've done is had a lot of women coming in to take nonprofit board positions as a way of training so that they can then be ready for big board positions. Mm-hmm. And do you see that as another path through to be able to get some stock of diverse people trained and ready for these roles? Actually, no. Um, I think there are many capable women of who could sit on listed boards now. And not just on the audit committees. There are women who can, you know, sit with a technical position, mm. with a strategic position, with an innovation position. There are many talented women out there. And maybe we're not putting our hand up as much, but I don't think people are looking hard enough. Okay, so then what would you advise to help us look harder? (laughs) What can we do? I think what Phil's doing makes absolute sense. You know, women are 50% of the population. Why wouldn't you have 50% of your board? Mm. Particularly, I mean, it's worse if you're in a business where you have a consumer product or a financial product that you're selling because we all know that women make 80% of those decisions in households. Um, And so it certainly makes sense to have people that represent your customers. (laughs) And on that extremely common sense note, (laughs) Laura, thank you very much for coming on This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure. I'd like to close today with a little story. A few years back, I was on the judging panel of a pitching competition, and one of the startups pitching was an angel network that was founded by women and designed to serve women. And women have historically been underserved as angel investors, as we heard from Laura McKenzie. Now, I thought that this was a great idea. I thought it was an idea whose time had come. Now, my fellow judges, all men, by the way, they looked at the other angel networks like Angels List and said, the market's already been served. There's no room here for another company. But if the market was already served, I asked, why did these women feel the need to create their own network? They didn't have an answer for that. But it didn't change their minds either. And so that startup didn't win any awards that day. And I haven't heard anything about it since. I suspect that it disappeared, just like so many startups do. So, when Jason makes a heartfelt call to the investor community to support, encourage, and fund female founders, we have to be very careful that we don't strangle those efforts in the crib. Because I've seen that happen. Now, if you want to read Paul Wallbank's Business Spectator article about diversity in tech or learn more about scale investors, drop by our Tumblr at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. You'll also find behind-the-scenes photos and lots more. So check it out at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Big thanks to sponsors Optus Innovate and Oxygen Ventures. Their support keeps making this podcast possible. And thanks to Felix Warmoth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work creating a podcast that's a constant joy to listen to. Once again, thanks to Paul Wallbank and Laura McKenzie for coming on the show. We'll be back in a fortnight with an episode from the universe next door. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.